This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Visit fairygodmothertravel.com to get all the best deals to travel to your favorite Disney destinations. Email them at communicorweekly at fairygodmothertravel.com and tell them that we sent you. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And, you know, we mentioned it last week, but we're just a few short episodes away, episodes away from episode 200, and uh, we got a couple of good voicemails so far. I know I didn't send them to you yet, George, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask if we had any bad voicemails. No, no, they're all really good so far. A couple of weird ones, as per usual, that's par for the course. That's true, yeah, of course, um, of course. Yeah. But, but again, it's, you know, you still have... I, here's what I'm thinking. If you hear the Halloween episode, by the time you hear that, you... You've ran out of time. You're too late. Yeah, you yeah, can't call in. It's too late. So up until then, you can late. call in. But if you want to leave us a voicemail <laughs> to uh, play on the show on episode 200, it's 424-785-4628. Call in. Let us know your favorite episode, your favorite bit, um, anything. We don't care. You know we're easy, guys. I mean, come on. It's yeah. a good time. Your favorite restroom, your we, favorite Disney snack. I would be down for hearing people's favorite restrooms. Yeah. It'd be a good segment. So, yeah. Bonus points if you call us. From the restroom. Not while you're using it, <laughs> but just in the restroom. So I can see Russell will get like a, a can and talk into the can. Hello? Like, Hello? I'm calling from a bathroom. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> That's exactly what you do. So, okay, so so call us again. Something about our 200th episode. We don't care. Uh, 424-785-4628. 424-785-GOAT. It's time for Disney History. So it's fairly obvious that Walt Disney really loved miniature stuff. I mean, the man had a full-scale miniature railroad in his backyard. That's pretty awesome. And he also had this project once that was going to cart all over the states, and it was called the Disneylandia Project, and it was going to be filled with, like, miniature tableaus. And, of course, you know, unfortunately, it never came to be, but all his, you know, his love for these small miniaturized things continued at Disneyland and eventually to Walt Disney World as well. It'd be weird if, like, Walt Disney World was a miniature version of Disneyland. How can you expect children to have fun <laughs> if they can't even fit inside the theme park? Is this a theme park for ants? <laughs> okay, anyway, so I knew somebody was going to make that joke. I'm glad it's out of the way. Um, so when the Monsanto House of the Future was closing, Dr. Charles Allen Thomas approached Walt with the idea of a, a new attraction that would explore the miniature world. Uh, originally, it was going to be called Micro World, the ride would carry guests through the world of a snowflake on the Atomobiles. Of course, it opened as Adventure Through Inner Space in 1967 and ran for almost 20 years. And that is a much better name than Micro World. Yeah. I would not go name. to a theme park called Micro World. Well, maybe I would. And this yeah, might be a bunch fun. of microscopes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, so the whole process of miniaturization, it, it was just something that fascinated everybody during that time period. Uh, Fantastic Voyage, uh, it was a film that came out. It was about people being shrunk and transported into the human body, and it was extremely popular at that time, and actually went on to win two Oscars. So it was kind of on everybody's mind. 
and it was a concept that never really went away despite Adventures Through Inner Space closing in 1985. And of course, the ride that took its place, Star Tours, used the motion simulator models that would uh, uh, give Imagineers an idea for a ride at Epcot Center in the Wonders of Life pavilion called Body Wars. And the film follows a submarine-like probe that is shrunk down in journeys through a patient's body. Now, as you go uh, from the Wonders of Life Pavilion, which, by the way, was totally awesome and is still totally awesome now, just kind of empty. Um, yeah. But when you go there to get into Body Wars, your surroundings kind of change a little bit. You, you get transported to this high-tech lab called MET, which was short for Miniaturized Exploration Technologies. Or, or MetLife. Or MetLife. Could go with Snoopy. Yeah. Uh, or we're crossing yeah. properties there. Never mind. Um, so Captain Jack Broddick, uh, who was played by Tim Matheson, he was on a routine mission with a crew of civilian observers played by the guests that weren't on the attraction. And after being shrunk to the uh, size of a single cell by a particle reducer, you were beamed inside a human body. And the mission there was to meet up with Dr. Cynthia Lair, played by Elizabeth Shue, who was an immunologist to bring her home. So she was studying the body's response to a splinter being under the skin and how white blood cells rush to protect the body from infection. Or, in her words, to study the inflammatory response of the neutrophils as they react to invading bacteria. Because I think she was playing the part of a nerd. She was. Um, nerd. Yes. Un <laughs> unfortunately, as expected, things go badly, and Dr. Lair is swept away from the splinter and into the bloodstream. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, you follow her through the heart, the lungs, and to the brain, trying to rescue her. And even after you did, power is lost, and you need to find another way out. It was pretty high stakes. It was, it was. But at the end of the day, according to Mission Control, you broke every regulation in the rule book, uh, you were the first to go through the heart, the lungs, and the brain, and you also managed to pull off the most spectacular mission <laughs> that place has ever seen. Congratulations, you guys. Nice work. That's sort of what we say every week when we finish the episode. Of That's Kingdom true. After we stop hitting record, we give each other virtual high fives, and we, we pat each other on the back. We made another week, but guys. We... Yes. <laughs> okay. We haven't so, been canceled time... yet by ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, not yet. It was a no. It's not. I wasn't foretelling the future. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a realistic experience um, <clears throat> for the time, and it featured special film techniques and CGI of anatomical images. And the film itself was directed by Leonard Nimoy, who said, even though it was the shortest film he ever made, it still presented its challenges. And because of the motion simulator aspect, they had to build a set that actually rocked during filming to match what the simulator would do. Unfortunately, many guests reported feeling queasy after the ride, with many like instances me. of motion sicknesses. Have you? Were you? No? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. World motion, uh, Body Wars made me sick, but Star Tours never did. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, because it actually took place within a bloodstream, the Imagineers programmed the movement of the entire capsule to mimic a person's pulse. So they had this very small and subtle um, additional movement that maybe would cause you and many other people to be unsettled during it. <laughs> and this happened quite a bit, too. If the film was just even slightly out of sync, just slightly, motion sickness could definitely uh, also ensue. So many guests complained that eventually the film was shortened and, you know, just to lessen the effects <laughs> of the motion sickness. Okay, so the ride vehicles were called probes, and they would hold 40 people. They weighed close to 20,000 pounds when empty, and uh, 27,000 pounds when full of uh, manly guests, because we don't talk about women's weight. Yeah, that's true. Not at all. Fair point. Um, so they were uh, 10 feet high and 17 feet wide, and they were also 26 feet long. And their speed differed depending on the axis of motion. Uh, and they were 10 feet off the ground when they started. 
Now, each of the four probes located in Body Wars was entirely self-sufficient. Uh, they each had their own air conditioning, their own film, and their own sound. And, uh, you know, the, the actual simulation itself took its motions from the film, because each frame, uh, there was uh, something, there was a time code that was generated from each one, and it was a pulse that was associated with the position of the simulator, so it would play and the simulator would move based on that. And when it was being developed, uh, and imagine you're sat and actually watched the film with a joystick to sync uh, the movements perfectly. And the 70mm film ran at 24 frames per second. I'm thinking instead of Met, it should have been sponsored by Dramamine. That's a fair point. Did that exist back then? I, I would hope so. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So the simulator itself was a, <clears throat> a rediffusion atlas, also known as an advanced technology leisure application simulator. Whew. And its cabin was supported by six servo actuators, which were powered by hydraulics. They were driven automatically by electrical drive signals received from a freestanding motion control cabinet. And the actuators provided six degrees of freedom, uh, free movement, so the cabin could be moved in planes representing heave, surge, sway, and an axis representing pitch, roll, and yaw in any combination. So Body Wars was actually the first real thrill ride at Epcot Center, which of course made it, you know, a big draw for crowds at first. And, you know, there were wait times over an hour were not uncommon for the ride. However, over time, things changed a little bit. And because the pavilion may not have been the easiest to find, you know, wedged between two other pavilions, uh, you know, other rides that were opening in the park all over, wait times often dipped to walk-on status. And so in 2004, the entire Wonders of Life Pavilion, uh, along with the rides within, of course, became seasonal. And then, unfortunately, on uh, January 1st, 2007, the entire pavilion closed altogether, including Body Wars. Oh, okay. So what actually happened to the ride itself is unknown. The large building that housed the four simulators is still there, away from public view. There were rumors when it closed that the simulators would be shipped to Hong Kong Disneyland to become Star Tours. However, there have never been any credible reports of the simulators being removed. However, some people say that the simulators have been stripped for parts to repair the Star Tours over at Hollywood Studios since they are the same system. Interesting. But Jeff, I've also heard the rumor that when the moon is full and it's dark night outside, you can sometimes hear Elizabeth's shoe. No, never mind. So <laughs> you can hear the simulators going. I was like, where are you going with this? I started to scare myself, so I had to stop. Oh, yeah. boy. I was talking about them being haunted. But I, I can't so. even. I can't even. Um, so we would like to know what you guys maybe thought about the Wonders of Life Pavilion. Or, or ridiculous bot. rumor you heard. Oh, yeah. What ridiculous rumor did you guys hear about it? Give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line. That's 424-785-4628. 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ha! It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Star Wars Aftermath by Chuck Wendig. Okay, so obviously all the cadets know how much we loved, we have loved, <laughs> the latest Star Wars book releases. And uh, although, you know, we, we enjoy the expanded universe, the storylines that Disney has been pushing to support the video games and the films recently, or I mean the upcoming film, excuse me, has been incredibly impressive. And both of us got review copies of Aftermath, and um, I think we're both pretty excited since this is part of the series, which I was corrected leading up to The Force Awakens. I <laughs> thought it was the book that led us to The Force Awakens, but no. No, no, you're incorrect, no. come on. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's kind of a misnomer because you know it is the f very first glimpse that we're getting now, official glimpse that we're getting of the universe after the Rebels' victory on, on Endor. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the Force Awakens about, beyond like setting some of the seeds. Um, the bulk of the story itself is about how, despite the victory uh, that the, the Rebels have, the Empire is still trying to sway it in their favor. You know, they claim the Empire is not dead, uh, they're still strong, that the Rebel terrorist is still a threat, blah blah blah. And it's just interesting to see, interesting to see this kind of uh, political power play, especially inside the Star Wars universe. And especially as we're getting political presidential stuff now. Yes, right now. Anyway, so we'll move on. Um, since we all know, because we all saw Return of the Jedi, we all know that the Emperor is dead. But the people in the Star Wars universe don't. They don't know um, But there could have been clones. You never know. It also makes it uh, interesting to see how the characters in the universe treat whatever news and rumors that they that they hear. Uh, we get to see the New Republic start to stand and take count. But it's not quite the happy ending that you expect after Return of the Jedi. I mean, there were no Ewoks in this book, were there? No, there wasn't. Mm. Those flesh-eating little brats. <laughs> so, you know, as Jeff sort of mentioned earlier, there's still a lot of people vying for power on multiple fronts, and it's not clear really uh, who is whom at this point. Um, but, you know, that's okay. We'll get into some other things, so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there's, you know, there was a very large cast of characters in this book um, to begin with, um, but they also had stories ranging from, like, the intergalactic battles uh, to on the ground forces trying to survive. So it was kind of all over the place. And in addition to that, you know, aside from the main narratives going on, they also included these kind of side stories. So every few chapters, there was a short little bit where we check in on random citizens all over the galaxy and how life is now that the Empire is, you know, kind of somewhat no more. And these little things kind of added a lot to the overall story of the Star Wars universe. And it was just incredibly interesting to me to see how everyone is getting along in the new world with this power vacuum. Um, I mean, there was uprisings, there was, you know, people getting squashed down. It was just it was really mm -hmm. interesting. And, you know, just to expand earlier what we were talking about on, you know, leading into the new film, there was this one interlude that had a group of individuals buying an object. I'm not going to say what object, <laughs> but it was an object that every Star Wars fan knows of. And if the rumors we're hearing about the new film are true, you know, this story ties directly into Kylo Ren's character in the upcoming film. You're talking about the medals that they got at the end of A New Hope? Yep, totally. Because they melted them trying down. Trying to buy one for Chewbacca. Made them into bullets, and that's the only thing that kills a Wookiee. <laughs> okay, so in my opinion, I thought the strength of the book itself was also the only real weakness to it. You know, Jeff mentioned the incredible cast of characters, and it really felt more like a movie to me than some of the other Star Wars books that we've read. Still, that being said, I felt like I was there was almost I was almost 100 pages into the book before I could tell who the characters were by their names alone because they all had those kooky Star Wars names that we read about. Um, yeah. To me, it led to a little bit of confusion, but I was able to settle into the story pretty comfortably, and I really, really enjoyed the second half of the book. And the second half of the book really has a lot of action scenes. It yeah. really does. So, I mean, the plot, I mean, again, to rehash the plot again, it, it deals with the former rebel fighter uh, Nora Wexley and her return home after the Battle of Endor. And, you know, she's just ready to re reunite with her son and rebuild her life, but she also intercepts a distress call from Wedge and Hillies, you know, a famous Star Wars characters. So mm -hmm. she and the rest of the characters that she meets along the way, you know, they try to rescue them, and in the meantime, these surviving Imperial forces are meeting on the same planet for this emergency summit to kind of determine the future of the Empire. So this is very interesting. Exactly. And, you know, one of my favorite characters was, like, uh, 
Somebody called Mr. Bones. Oh man, I did a jump for joy when I saw a character named Mr. Bones. He—it's such like a weird small thing, but I thought he was like a standout character. Oh, he was fantastic. He was great. He was really fantastic, and uh, you know, we have to do some cross promotion on Communicore Weekly. Just to we're done you. with that. We're done with that for now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so back to the Star Wars book we're supposed to be talking about. Um, you know, as I mentioned, once I hit the second part of the book, I really felt like I was actually watching a Star Wars film, which doesn't happen a lot with the Star Wars books. They're great stories, but they usually focus on one character. And, you know, I think I really, really want to go back and read this book again, except for the big, tall stack of review books I've got behind me. They're about to fall on me. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I think now that I, I'm more familiar with the characters and the names and where they are, I really, really want to go back to piece together their stories from the beginning of the book because I really feel like there was a lot that I missed. Yeah. and I But I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. A lot. I, I did too. And I mean, to kind of keep true with the tie-in to the journey to The Force Awakens, and this is the first of three books, uh, supposedly they said. I don't, I don't remember. That's what I heard, yeah. yeah. Um, but the ending, you know, the very epilogue, if you read between the lines, you know, there's a character that's introduced that will hopefully, we think, maybe in the new film, maybe as a villain or something. I, it, we don't know. But either way, I mean, the book is great. I really liked it. George said he liked it. I mean, what, yep. what more can you want? Exactly. So this week's book was Star Wars Aftermath by Chuck Wendig. You don't know what you know till we know you. You, know, you just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. So, in 1977, there was a St. Patrick's Day race between the employees of Walt Disney World, SeaWorld, Circus World, and the Star Hall of Fame. The race was not a typical marathon. It was only four miles from the back entrance of SeaWorld to Little Lake Bryant. Now, Keith Gluck will tell you that they sweep runners that are going too slow, currently, but not back in 1977. So, only 50 yards from the finish line after a flat-out run. Brenda Wilson from Walt Disney World passed out from heat exhaustion. After loading her aboard an ambulance, Reedy Creek paramedics drove her under the finish tape, giving her third place for the ladies' division. And there's still no word what the ambulance driver got. Now we know you. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. So this week's window is located in Disneyland, and it reads, J.S. Hamill, Consulting Engineer. Now, Jacob Samuel Hamill, which is some nice rhyming skills right there, um, he was hired as a civil and electrical uh, consult uh, for Disneyland after being recommended by uh, General Electric. And Hamill was tasked with taking the concept drawings by Imagineers and turning them into structurally sound working buildings. And he was also responsible for the lighting of Disneyland, along with the uh, creating of the system of waterways that flow, uh, you know, all around the park. And with the help of Admiral Joe Fowler, Hamill designed the submarine voyage. Later, Hamill became a lighting consultant for Walt Disney World. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. In the Tower of Terror at California Adventure, there's a bit of a uh, Hotel California vibe. You can check in, but you can never leave. At least, you know, <gasps> that's true for one cast member. I know George, that's very oh. surprising. So after me. you get out of the library pre-show, which I know George spends a lot of time in, you know, lingering because it's a library, um, 
<laughs> if you're staying in the downstairs portion of the boiler room, you're going to come across a desk on your left-hand side with a radio with some other knickknacks uh, just before you get onto the ride. And on the desk is a framed photo. Now, look at that photo when you get there and pay attention to it. That photo is of Irma. Now, why is this important? Well, after you're done with the ride, and in a typical Disney fashion, you get let out into the gift shop, keep an eye out for Irma herself. Irma is actually a real person and is working in that very gift shop, which is the unofficial way, kind of, of tower, you know, tying the tower story into the real world, that she's still there, she hasn't left all that time. And she's often, like, very humbled when people recognize her, so next time you're there, you know, stop and say hello. Hey, Irma, I saw you in the boiler room. Um, and also a big thank you to my friend uh, Beth M for this week's GOAT, because she's the one that actually brought it to my attention. So uh, we'll post the photos of uh, Irma, uh, you know, in the queue, and then Irma today uh, on the on the webpage, communicalwithy.com, and the uh, show notes for you guys to see. That's pretty darn cool. It's it's pretty neat. I don't know how uh, like if that. she it was a random happenstance or they added her picture later, but it's kind of cool. Or if she did it. She may have done it. Or dun, dun. she just may have been a guest of the hotel this entire time. Or she won a prize in a what? contest. Is this some kind Maybe. of a segue? Maybe. So, as you guys know, we've been doing the year of a million or so limited time cadets. And we've been giving out a weekly prize. And there's still a few more months, not many, where you can email us and add your name to the potential drawing. Well, no, it's always a drawing, but it's potentially always, you could win. Yeah. Always a drawing. So um, email communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, address, and your birthday. So, of course, we can send you the prize when it comes out and maybe something else. And you can be entered in our weekly prize drawing. And this week's prize is from Teresa Corey at Fairy Godmother Travel. And it is a wonderful Disney Cruise Line prize pack. And the winner for this week is Dan C. from Netcong, New Jersey. Hooray, Jersey! So congratulations to Dan, and we look forward to uh, uh, hearing your thoughts once you get the prize. Call us on the go line. Tell us how much you love it. Paste a photo somewhere. (laughs) But anyway, guys, um, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please, however you listen to the show, if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you guys, hear what you heard, lo, lo, mm, what you thought about this week's show. Clearly, I can't Exactly. Talk. Well, it's, it's late in the evening. Um, well, for me. For anyway, you. Uh, <laughs> it's that time travel again. Email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com to simply say, sup, Corey, or hi, or hello, or we love Communicore Weekly. Just about anything. We're okay. not picky. <laughs> uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly and to see all the cool stuff we post throughout the week. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginarding. He's at Jeff Heimbach. And again, make sure you give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. You know, leave us a message for our 200th episode. And again, if, you, if you're driving and you can't remember the phone number, that's fine. It's on our website. You could just go to our site later and give us a call. It's cool. Don't which, try to write it down now. Which is CommunicoreWeekly.com. CommunicoreWeekly.com. Thanks, George. Good. good. Well, I didn't know if anybody knew that. And uh, speaking of CommunicoreWeekly.com, you can visit that Go to the Commuta store or visit CommuniCoreWeekly.Spreadshirt.com and get some awesome t-shirts, including the Ghost Whistle you can wear for Halloween. Heck yes, there's still plenty of time to get a Ghost Whistle shirt for Halloween. If if that is your Halloween costume, if somebody has a Ghost Whistle for Halloween, they're getting a special prize. Yes, they are. I'm just going to say that right now. Okay. Um, 
Speaking of cool stuff, um, that was not a good segue, I'm sorry. If no, you want okay. your official cadet membership card or a Communicore Weekly uh, button or sticker, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box, 432 Orange, California, 92856, and I will send it out to you. Yes, and visit patreon.com slash Weekly and find out how you can support the Grass Line show and potentially help Jeff go to Segway School. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> um, <laughs> for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.